Hello and welcome to another episode of Back of the Grid. We are here to preview the Portuguese Grand Prix this week. Uh, I am your host Tom and as always I am joined by Chris. Hello. And Stu. Howdy. Howdy. Unknown territory this weekend coming up. Yeah. Yes, yes. I've, I've delved into some unknown territory just then actually with Howdy. The, uh, <laughs> well, funnily enough, <laughs> it was supposed to be the uh, USA Grand Prix in Texas this weekend. Had the original oh, calendar uh, wow. carried on, so you're channeling yes. Texas, Stu. Yes, I knew that. All. Yes, <laughs> um, it's nothing to do with the fact that I've just been replaying Red Dead Redemption Two on PlayStation. Nothing at all. No, <laughs> no. no. Um, are we excited to see a new track for Formula One? Yeah, this one especially. Um, I've I've always liked this circuit. I'm really excited to see what these cars are like there. I think yeah. this was my favorite announcement personally until the reintroduction of Turkey. Yeah, obviously, obviously, <laughs> obviously. I think um, Friday is going to be fun. Throwing lots of drivers who've never been there before onto a track that has lots of like blind crests and blind corners yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it's a very very challenging circuit. If it you, really if, is. When you go on it for the first time on a game, even. From my, in my experience, it's just so, so, so tricky. Yeah. It's it like is. you go over the crest of a hill and you're like, oh, there was the corner I was supposed to take, I suppose. Yeah, uh, yeah. There <laughs> goes the apex. Goes. Yeah. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> it, is, it is very much like that. Like You throw it into a corner and then a second apex appears from nowhere and you think, <laughs> where was that? Or vice versa. You you like you don't see the apex until it's way too late. Mm. So I hope they've been be spending lots of, uh, lots of time on... Back of the grid, uh, back of the grid on the, the <laughs> uh, race driver grid. I think it was on race driver grid on Grid Autosport. Yeah, maybe the first appearance. Yeah, it's been on. It's, it's been on Grid Autosport. It's been on uh, Project Cars. Yeah, uh, race room. It's on all sorts now. But mm. yeah, I remember the first time I encountered it and just being so baffled by it. It took me so <laughs> yeah. long to figure it out. It's a really, really tough circuit. It's such a relief when you get to that final sort of that final big sweeping right hander. You're like, oh, I can relax for a little bit now. It just yeah. goes on forever. Yeah, yeah. It's I've still not mastered it. I've been driving around it six, seven years in Sims, and I've still not mastered it. So <laughs> I literally, I'm, I want to go and play it right now. I want to like. Yeah. Can we just rattle through this podcast so I can go and play? <laughs> yeah, on yeah. Track and get to know it better, please. Let's do it. Right, Chris, crack on <laughs> the news then. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's been a week off from racing, and this season that means driver market rumours. So we'll run through the the bulk of what's going on. Um, Let's start with the kind of Haas, Alfa Romeo, Ferrari young driver pool. Um, (laughs) As we kind of met Cluster, yeah. As we sort of touched on a week or two ago, um, Dmitry Mazepin, who is a Russian chemicals oligarch and billionaire and happens to be the father of um, F2 race winner Nikita Mazpan. Uh, he was sort of sniffing around um, the prospect of buying an F1 team. That seems to have cooled now. But we do know for fact that he had a meeting with Gunter Steiner uh, in Sochi. According to Russian media, that conversation was him trying to get a Russian driver into Haas for next year. Um, obviously, the main candidate for that is going to be his son. But supposedly, Robert Schwartzman, who is another F2 frontrunner, is kind of also on the list of Russian drivers that he's working on trying to get into F1. And then we've also had this week, supposedly sources at Alfa Romeo are saying that the Mick Schumacher to Alfa 
move that we all thought was a sort of nailed uncertainty now might not be the case and he might actually be headed to Haas. The kind of Mm. story goes that that might be Ferrari trying to keep Haas sweet because obviously Haas aren't going to be best pleased with all the Ferrari parts that they're getting right now, given that (laughs) they're not particularly good parts. Yeah. Mm. Um, And essentially Ferrari is saying, here, we'll give you probably the most marketable young driver in the world for one of your seats and we'll pay a salary in return for you sticking with us and not trying to strike a kind of similar supply deal with Renault, for example. Mm. So yeah, mixture back to, to Alfa Romeo, not a certainty, it seems, at this point. Mm. Interesting. So first thing there, then, um, Russian driver to American Haas team. Sounds like an interesting concept, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, fun combination there. That, I mean, can you see Mazapan... Uh, Haas? Like, I don't know. I, I, I mean, don't know if any of that, there's any truth to any of that, is there? Ultimately, it's a money thing, isn't it? I mean, yeah. if Haas can get a driver that comes with lots and lots of financial backing and another driver that Ferrari are going to pay their wage bill, like that's got to be attractive to a team like Haas, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, what about Perez, though? Perez is probably much better for the team than Mazapan would be. Probably brings a, bit, a few books as well. Yeah, Perez does bring money with him, but I guess not as much as a Russian billionaire is going to ultimately. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, yeah. 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 That's fair. Um, I mean, either way, it looks pretty unlikely at this point that either of the current Haas drivers are going to stay on. I mean, Grosjean's been very openly talking about how interesting he thinks the Peugeot um, World Endurance Championship project is. So he's obviously uh, <laughs> teeing himself up for that. Yeah. He's going for that. I'm a Frenchman. That's a French batched car. Pretty much. I'm yeah. in. <laughs> I want and, some of that. <laughs> and then apparently some Danish media have uh, said that Magnussen is quote ninety nine point nine percent sure to be out of a seat, which is almost as sure as you can be. So <laughs> yeah, it is by definition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With Alfa Romeo, I guess if Schumacher does end up going there. That maybe gives Giovinazzi a chance of holding on to his seat. Um, yeah, yeah. Where, do, where does this leave Alpha? All this conversation. That's well, a thought, isn't it? It's looking now like Kimi's going to stay for another year. So I guess the other seat is either going to be Giovinazzi stays or Ilot gets the seat, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's getting to a point now where if they're the Ferrari B team, as they're supposed to be, the Alfa Romeo team, then what's the point in them having old drivers if they're supposed to be a young yeah. driver team? Like yeah. in the same way um, Alfa Tauri are supposed to be the young driver team for Red Bull, and yet they, <laughs> they've both got sort of... I guess what you call old drivers in now, like to, yeah. drivers that have both been demoted back from from Red Bull, which is weird. But then, yeah, like, you know, the the idea of a junior team to get young drivers into Formula One is sort of not really working at the moment, is it? Because there's no young drivers in these teams. No, very true. No, and it's weird, like, Ferrari have gone from being one of the big manufacturers with the weakest young driver program to the one that has the most potential right now. And, I mean, we could easily have, like, three Ferrari young drivers on the grid next season. Yeah. Yeah, potentially. Good job they've got two B teams in uh, Arsen. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Alpha. So you mentioned Perez already. If it is true that the Haas door is closing for Perez, 
One option that is supposedly cropping up for him is Williams. Apparently, the new Williams owners, Doralton Capital, are assessing their driver options currently. Um, Officially, Russell and Latifi do both have contracts for next season. But as with these sort of contracts, there's always um, wiggle room in them. And a lot of people think that the fact that the team was sold to new owners may be enough to sort of trigger break clauses in contracts and things. So I don't believe that the Williams seats are as locked in as they may have seemed, I guess, at this point. So yeah, they're supposedly considering Perez because obviously Perez comes with money and experience Mm. and, you know, the potential to get results. Latifi is probably not going anywhere given the money he brings into the team, which could put Russell's seat at risk going forward, which is a crazy place to be. That, yeah, that's a shame. That'd be a crying shame if, if yeah. George Russell... Would. I mean, he's been the better driver for two years now. He's been the best driver at Williams for two years. So, yeah. Well, he will have been by the end of this season. So, unless uh, unless the TV can get his act together, which doesn't... I mean, he's not really... Doesn't appear to be getting any closer to Russell from where I'm sitting. Um, no. Yeah. I'd, I mean... To play sort of devil's advocate a little bit, you could argue that, yes, Russell's beating Latifi, but he should be beating Latifi and he's actually not beating him by that much. Like, yes, Russell's very good on a Saturday, but qualifying well isn't much good if you're back down to last but one within two or three laps, which tends to be the story with Russell this year. Um yeah. But at least he's mixing it with the cars ahead. I mean, the reason, you know, he's, he's, he's further down the championship order and further down the standings and, and all that. But he's actually, the reason for that is because he's actually battling other cars and, and he's having races. Mm. Whereas Latifi is not really, from what I can tell, he's not really in the mix that much. I'm not sure I would call qualifying well and then falling back down the order of mixing it with cars mm. quite so much, but I know well, what you're no, saying. Russell's had a couple of retirements. Like he was, so he was taken out by um, uh, Raikkonen in the last race through absolutely no fault of his own. Mm-hmm. Um, probably would have been on for some points, I think, in the last race as well. Yes, yeah, uh, quite possibly. Yeah, there's a good chance of it. So I don't. I guess it's one of those you just have to wait until the end of the season to see where where they, those two shake out. I f- I do feel like Russell's the better driver of the two. There's, I, I mean, you know, would anyone disagree with that? No, I don't think so. I wouldn't. No. So is it why? I mean, it's that old debate of is it is it wise to value money over potential results because. I suppose one way of looking at it is yes, you know, when when you've got a big load of sponsorship coming in with a driver, that is guaranteed income. So you don't have to the pressure's not quite as high in terms of performance. But at the same time, it, you know, looking to the future, it's not going to solve any of your problems. As soon as that driver disappears, then you're back to square one and you've got, you know, you you might have a uh, you might have a quicker driver in it, but you can't give them the equipment because you've not made enough money from winning races or, or getting championship yeah. points to to put into the team and make it better. So 
I, I just feel like with this, you know, Williams have done this for a while now. They're always grabbing at the money for the for the pay drivers, and look look where it's got them. You know, mm. they're they're back of the grid. So if they carry on like this, then they're just doing the same things that they've done previously, and the the, the new owners is, are not really making any difference. And plus, if the new owners are, are worth so much money, why are they? Why do they need a pay driver? I thought the whole idea was of selling Williams was so that they'd have the money to build the team and make it better without having to have things like pay drivers. Mm. So they're also an investment company, though. Ultimately, yeah. they're there to improve and then bounce again. Yeah, I think that's the that's the crux of it, isn't it? Like yeah. they I think ultimately the nature of the business that they're in is to make the thing profitable, and if making the thing profitable actually involves bringing money from sponsors to make it profitable. Mm. That's Which, that's their priority, isn't it? But it's short-term gain, isn't it? It and is. I, but I guess that's the problem with investment. That's what they're so, in. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're, not, not, they're not into it for Williams to be a successful Formula 1 team in 10 years' time. They're into it to make money right now, regardless of the yeah. success of the team. That's, that's Essentially, that's what we're saying. And I yeah. think, like when when they first came in, the sort of they they said all the right things about wanting to do right by Williams in the name. And I think the sort of bulk of the F one community seemed to be like ready to. It's like okay, you've said the right things. Like we're prepared to give you the time to see if you actually do that. Like they sort mm-hmm. of built up a bit of goodwill. And I think if they now ditch George Russell, I think that goodwill will all go straight out of the window. Mm. it's going to turn a lot of fans against them if they do that. Yeah, sure. I mean, helping Perez stay on the grid is a good thing, but mm. doing it as a replacement to Russell over Latifi, I think, might be what would rub yeah, people definitely. the wrong way. Yeah, well, I think, like, you know, it's, it's, again, it's something I've said repeatedly. It's I'm not interested in seeing drivers who've been around for 10-plus mm. years Staying mm. at the expense of young drivers who've had maybe one or two seasons in the spot, who are who are clearly, clearly very, very yeah. talented, and no, you know, I wouldn't say George Russell is any worse driver than Sergio Perez at any point in in Perez's career. Mm. You know, like put put Russell in the right car, and he will get your points and he'll get your podiums. And I'm not sure you can really say that about Perez. Like, I think that that mm. racing point this season should have had. Should have spent more time in the top, in the top sort yeah, of well, he's, he's done, on the podium. He's done it in the past though, when it was forcing near, and he did it at Sauber. Like, he's. I wouldn't say he. he, he, he I wouldn't say he isn't capable of it. No, um, okay, that's not fair. Yeah, I, not I just, I just think that. Just saying. I, I just think that maybe things haven't fallen their way this season because we've seen a few scenarios where we'd expect them to maybe be better than they were and things just haven't gone their way and it doesn't it doesn't always like i've i can't put my finger on the exact scenarios but i feel like between him and stroll there's been a couple of sort of situations where i mean stroll did himself out of something in monza first and foremost but other than that i think there's been a couple of occasions where maybe the way safety cars have fallen and things like that they've actually disadvantaged them both to to some degree Mm. i mean perez has missed a race as well like I think I think there's just a, there's a few other things that have meant that that car's not ended up on the podium. But yeah, I guess. But I, I think like when a when a driver can come in and you know do with the car what he's when Hulkenberg can come in and do yeah. with that car what he's done with it with barely any practice in the car, then 
those you'd you'd expect those two to be doing a lot better, I think, in that car. True. Let's you know if if it's last year's Mercedes, then last year's Mercedes was a really, really, really good car. So I, I think I think what this highlights is that yeah, they might look pretty darn similar, but they're nowhere near the same car. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Like I, I think that I think that that's what we've learned over the course of the season is that they've they've done a very good job of copying some key bodywork components to improve their car, but there's no way that that is on the same level as what last year's Mercedes was. Or uh, Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton just so talented that they're driving well, way beyond what that car could, is actually capable of. Like, could, is that could the well case? be. You know, if, well you, if you put Lewis Hamilton and and uh, Valtteri Bottas in in the in the racing point, then does that car suddenly step up by half a second in performance? I mean. <laughs> no. uh, help me with my memory here but when the Williams was half decent at the at the start of the hybrid era with that Mercedes engine in it wasn't it Valtteri that was getting the majority of the high points and podium finishes be, yeah. I mean I'm not saying Massa didn't get any but I feel like I saw Bottas there more so that, I mean there might be something to be said for what you're saying Stu yeah so and I think mm. another factor as well like without any disrespect to racing point, if I had to have a race car set up and my choice was Mercedes to set it up for me or racing point to set it up for me, <laughs> there's only one choice really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's also it, true. Yeah, It's funny, I mean, this season like started off with all this controversy about copying last year's Mercedes and then the season's kind of proved that doing that will only ever really get you so far, hasn't it? I mean, you can give anyone a paintbrush, but not everyone can paint the Sistine <laughs> Chapel. Exactly. Yeah. So the next part of this whole driver mess is, is <laughs> Red Bull, which always tends to be a driver mess. Some people are now claiming that Hulkenberg is emerging as a front runner to be in the second Red Bull next year. <laughs> Given how they're approaching Albon this year, the fact that they very rarely if ever take drivers from outside, and the fact that there's the link to kind of the the tie side of the Red Bull business, I, I just I can't see that happening personally. Um, and even if they were looking outside the team, again, Perez makes a lot more sense because Perez comes with lots and lots of millions of dollars worth of uh, sponsorship money and Hulkenberg has next to none. I mean, the the flip of that, though, is Red Bull don't really care about necessarily bringing someone in with sponsorship money, do they? They don't, but like, if Perez is bringing 20 million with him and Hulkenberg's going to cost you 5 million a year in salary, like... If you think can, they're going to perform on a similar level, then well, can you I imagine mean, Red Bull letting who, like Perez's sponsors plus themselves over all over a Red Bull? Though, I don't yeah, know if they would. That's a good point, actually, because that's never anything I've done before, is it? It's no. It's always it's always their own sponsors. Yeah, because it's all their own drivers. That's a good point. Yeah, and it, it's it's like it's sponsors that they uh, put together with and partnerships that they craft themselves. Mm. So. I mean, the the key point of Perez's contracts and things like that is that certain, like the the Visit Mexico stuff, I don't, mm. I don't think that's on the cars anymore, but it used to be. And like stuff like that is all over the car. And like uh, Massa used to bring a lot of money because uh, uh, the banks of Brazil didn't they, and stuff yeah. like that. So, but I, I can't see Red Bull putting stuff like that on their car because it's not it's not their brand, it's not their deal. So yeah. that's, that's something to, to be said for them taking on a pay driver, I guess. Mm, definitely. 
then there's, there's Gasly as well. So Gasly's obviously been pretty impressive this season. Uh, supposedly, he's impressed a lot of people within Renault, um, and they may be seeing him as a better option for their Oof. French driver uh, than Ocon, who he, Ocon's sort of going along okay, but not saying the world lights thing is fair to say at the moment. Um, he has got a deal for next season, but Gasly to Renault for 2022 is a possibility. If he can, especially if he can sort of keep up his current form yeah. into next season. That obviously could also play into the fact that Red Bull might be needing to head to Renault for engines. Um, I mean, mm. if you remember back in 2017 when Sainz mm. was kind of used as a, a bargaining chip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's a real possibility that that could happen in the next couple of years as well. Yeah. Um, and then also Helmut Marco has said on an interview, I think he was with Sky Germany the last few days, uh, he said at the moment we only have one driver who is a candidate for an F1 seat. That is Yuki Tsunoda. He is planned for Alpha Terry. He just needs to score the necessary points for the super license. Oof. So that as good as confirmed what we've always wow. said, which is as long as Tsunoda gets a super license, <laughs> he will be in Alpha Terry next season. Yeah, no, no pressure, Yuki. Yeah. yeah and. and- no pressure to the two drivers currently in an Alpha Tauri as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, it's pretty obvious that um, Kvyat's going to be sort of... You'd expect it to gone be, yeah. ...by the end of this season. He's, he's not really competing with his teammate and he's uh, he's only there as a placeholder yeah. anyway, it feels like. It, they kind yeah. of needed someone for that seat and they sort of just slotted him into it, didn't they? Yeah, nicely. I think unless Sonoda has like a shocking run-in and drops out of the top four, I can't see a version of events where Kvyat keeps mm. that seat, I don't think. Mm. Uh, did you see the Hulkenberg comment where I'm I, I'm taking this out of context so if it's not exactly correct I, I don't criticise me for it people but hmm. I saw a comment that he'd apparently said if he was in a red bull he could probably quite easily get to at least within three tenths of Max Verstappen quite yeah quickly. I saw that who said I don't that? Know, I don't know uh, Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg because people have been going to him asking him if he'd sit in a Red Bull and stuff, I bet, wouldn't they? And he's like, of course I would. I'd probably get within three tenths of max by end of season. So, mm, would he get a chance to stay in the seat long enough to, <laughs> well, yeah. to get within three tenths of max Verstappen? Probably not. Yeah, um, and that's the thing. Like, If you are an outside driver that goes to Red Bull, back of your mind, you're always going to know you're only really there until Red Bull have one of their own drivers to take your place. Yep. Because that's just yeah. the way that team works. But then that's Formula One, isn't it? You're only there until there's someone better yeah. who's available for the seat. So that's yeah. kind of like that comes with the territory. I don't think that's a reason not to uh, not to take a seat in a Red Bull. I mean, with the speed at which he's jumped in to replace people so far this season, and got up to speed, that he yeah. had, and, and got up to speed with it, like those things combined, you'd expect that whoever offered him a contract on the grid at this point, he'd probably take it. Mm. Does that, does that it, just it, mean it, that all the cars are super easy to drive then? <laughs> that you can get in a car without any very little practice and still sort of do what he did? I think... I, I mean, I think his experience at Silverstone said more about how how it would feel jumping back in a car because he was struggling a lot with his neck and things like that, wasn't he, with the G-forces? He was, mm. was struggling a lot there. And I'll guess what's happened is after that realisation, he's probably done a lot more to be ready for this scenario that, that we saw last time out. So he's, he's more physically primed for it because he probably wasn't expecting it until the call for Silverstone. Yeah. Whereas now he's a bit more... He, he knows he is like fully on call for this kind of thing. So... And I mean, it, on both occasions, he's, 
he's done what he can to try and prove that he might still be a threat on the grid given the right car and the right circumstances in my opinion yeah i think well mm. i think when i think even when he you know when he left it he was still absolutely a threat yeah um, to you know you would if you're on that you know if you're racing in formula one and you come up on nico hulkenberg or nico hulkenberg is coming up on you then you, you know you you're gonna be feeling the pressure i think like you yeah know, you, he's not a he's no slouch so he is, no. he's a very talented driver i just think like for all the chat about you know how difficult formula one car how complicated formula one cars are these days to be able if they were that difficult to drive then someone who hasn't driven a proper formula one car in anger for two years shouldn't be able to just jump in a car and be able to compete yeah but, i think things f1 cars like era on era i think they're always there's there's different kinds of a car being difficult to drive, I suppose, isn't there? Like, mm. yeah, you go back to like the the days when it was like V10s and V12s, just like putting down a ludicrous amount of power, and it was like a struggle to get out of the corners. Whereas I know they don't have traction control these days, but it's they still have so much grip, like that part's taken away. But then, mm. honestly, I think the hardest part, especially for the first time, Hawkeberg got in that car, would probably be like learning the steering wheel. Like, yeah. yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, it's learning the settings, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. apparently, going to Lando of... Norris, they basically do a lot of the the cars do a lot of the um, power management themselves, right? Like, you put it in auto mode, you set it up for the weekend, put yeah. it in auto mode, and it mode, and you, you that that's your sort of baseline for the for a lap and for the race, and then as you want more power, you can obviously tweak the settings to defend or attack. Yeah, because when the 2019 F1 game came out, um, I remember seeing the first time Lando Norris got on Twitch playing that, and he straight away said the like ERS settings are more complicated in this game than they are in the real car. And based <laughs> on like his feedback and the driver's feedback, Codemasters like changed how ERS worked for this year's game, and it's actually more like the real thing in this year's game, which is essentially right for the race. It's you leave it in one yeah. setting unless you press the overtake button. Yeah. yeah. So it's, but having said all that, I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily that they are easy to drive because part of the job of an engineer, a race car engineer, is to make a car as easy as possible to drive yeah. in a race situation. Because yeah. it, if it's very difficult to drive, then obviously that's one part of your brain that's less devoted to battling the other cars. If, if it's a battle just to drive the car in the first place, then obviously you're going to struggle to compete when it comes to wheel-to-wheel racing. Whereas if driving the car is, is just really, really easy and it's almost a part of your body and it all everything becomes second nature, then you can really put your focus on the racing and getting the most out yeah. of that car. So, Which I still think is a problem that Red Bull have, which is that that's not a particularly easy car to drive, but Verstappen makes it look a lot easier to drive than it is and gets more out of that car than it probably should be getting. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I can, uh, I can, I, I, I could go for that. <laughs> um, it is to kind of wrap all this up, I guess. Like the kind of headline to this is drivers like Perez and Hulkenberg and possibly Russell are struggling for seats, and you've got people like Mazapan potentially on the way in. And you know, I don't want to do the kind of disrespect. Like he's he's won races in F two. He's no slouch, but. If it was purely on merit, he'd be a lot further down that list than yeah 
many drivers that are potentially going to be out of a seat next year. It's true. It'd be interesting to see where cost caps affect the yeah. desire to pull in a paid driver. That That's going to be the most interesting thing to do with that particular part of the regulations is if that makes them less inclined to pull in paid drivers because they know where money is being, well, not being spent per se, but you know, they know that there's budgetary restrictions and it's it's easier for the smaller teams to, I, I guess, not necessarily reach that budget cap because some of them were saying, well, we don't even spend anywhere near that much mm. already. But at least knowing that the, the higher spending teams are reined in a little bit. Yeah, well, but they're, the they're, not, they're, not, they're not restricted on driver wages though, are they? Am I right in thinking? Yeah, that's right. No, but I mean... It's not the money going out on salaries that's the issue, is it? It's the money coming in from sponsorships. But then if the if the if all the sponsorship money is going straight back out on the driver salary, then I guess that's like one less bit of funding they have to find for the car. Yeah, yeah I suppose. Because they're not that. having to pay their driver, all the sponsors will just pay the driver and they can yes. go straight on yeah. the car. So, so it still makes sense to get a pay driver in. Yeah. I I could I could see that logic. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, really it's just to see that, how that affects it, it. Yeah, it's just that sort of balance between do you want a pay driver who, who will run you, who will drive your car and probably never win a race, or do you have a driver that you pay? You, do you have a brilliant driver who costs a lot of money and will, you know, will win races and pay for himself that way? Mm. If you can give him the car. I suppose there's, there's a lot more ifs and buts around getting mm. the bigger driver in and the better driver in than there are by getting a pay than there are from getting a yeah. pay driver in yeah. pay driver guaranteed income you can see why they do it is what i'm saying oh yeah yeah but i just definitely. think long term it's it just it, it's diminishing you get diminishing returns from it because obviously yeah first you get that big influx of cash when the driver first joins and because they're not winning races and getting points, that's where you lose out over time because the, the team just declines over over a period of years. Yeah. Well, I mean, Williams is probably a good example of that mm. when we've talked about it. Like, yeah, I don't think that's the sole problem at Williams, but yeah. No, it's, it's not, it's but I think it's a part of It's part of yeah. the problem, though, yeah. 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 Which I guess is why a driver like Perez is attractive because he kind of straddles that line, doesn't he? He... He does bring money in, but not, maybe not quite as much as a pay driver. But he also is a talented driver that will get your results way more yeah. than your average pay driver will. So yeah. yeah, I wonder what Russell. I wonder if Russell brings any sponsorship money in with him, or whether they're not. I'd imagine he, being in the Mercedes Junior program, probably not. He probably if anything is the engine, engine deals. deals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. It's probably en- engine deals at best. I would guess. I mean, another thing that's come out in recent weeks speaking of russell is that and i've seen people posting videos of his interviews from a few races ago when this supposedly happened and kind of trying to read between the lines of what he said it essentially sounds like he came incredibly close to getting the mercedes drive for next season uh but ultimately claire williams said no we've got a three-year contract and it's up to us whether we want to let you go for that or not and we want to keep you oh my god which obviously, if he now goes ahead and loses that seat, would be absolutely gutting that would for him. Be, yeah, that would be really gutting. That would be a travesty. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'll move us, though, gentlemen, from headlines to storylines. Um, so we've got a few things to look forward to. Most being a new circuit 
at Portimao. This circuit, we've never seen F1 there. I don't think I've ever seen any of the drivers on the grid there in, in other series. So, I mean, broadest question in the world, who do we think will run well at this circuit, both teams <laughs> and drivers? Broadest oh question God. in the world. Jesus. Uh, given the, well, given the circuits. You, you, yeah. I mean, it's an obvious choice, isn't it, it is. at this point? And I don't think Mercedes, just because Mercedes either, I do think this circuit, the characteristics of it probably will suit that car, I think. It's like big mm. straights, a lot of fast corners. Um, and he's, he's going to play to their strengths more than yeah, the circuits does. But I think Red Bull as well are going to be, I think it's the kind of track where they probably can compete with Mercedes because it's a super yeah. technical track. That that long start finish might cause them some issues, but I think they'd make that up around the rest of the yeah, circuit. Really, it's such a windy circuit. Like there's, mm. there's only really that big long straight and the rest of it is all really quite sort of twisty and undulating yeah. mm. um which kind of suits the the red bull a little bit more i'd say so it should be an interesting battle between the two they'll definitely be put places on the track where the red bull is quicker than the mercedes and there'll be places on the track where the mercedes is quicker than the red bull it's just really who's going to get the best setup to uh to get that to get the most out of the car, I guess, in the short period of time that they've got to to get set up for that circuit. You know, it's only yeah. three hours of practice on a Friday, yeah. another what, another hour on Saturday morning, and then you're into qualifying. Yeah. So that's nah, way too much. They don't need that much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what What about from a driver's perspective? Like, regardless of car, do you think there's anyone that might have an opportunity to shine at a circuit like this? I mean, Bottas this season tends to have got to grips with sort of new or newer circuits faster than at least Hamilton has. So I'd like to think the gap between Bottas and Hamilton is going to be pretty close again uh, this weekend. Mm. I think it will be close, but I can't see Bottas getting past Hamilton. I think given where he is in the championship and how this season sort of played out for him, I think Hamilton's more or less got him beat. So psychologically Hamilton definitely has a huge edge over Bottas at this point um it's it's really just a case of can Bottas pull something out of the hat to to compete with Hamilton I'd say in in, in between those two drivers and then in terms of the Red Bull Verstappen is obviously going to be there keeping them both both honest Albon probably a little bit further back from there so the fight really driver wise the fight is definitely between Hamilton Bottas and and Verstappen for me if they do get close together it hopefully will lend itself to some decent racing um this circuit at its thinnest point it's 46 feet wide (laughs) which is ludicrous wow yeah where is that where's the finished point on the circuit uh, oh, I mean, you had to just throw in a follow-up question that I don't know the answer I to. Did, did I, Sorry. I, I'd guess it's one of those. There's, there's like a, I, I call it like an infield bit. I'm trying to think of the ter- circuit from the top down, but there's like, um, there's a there's a straight that goes into a pretty, like, tight hairpin. Yeah, I would in, guess It's so. sort of in the middle of the circuit, so I can imagine that bit being quite, a, if, from my head of like, oh, I like, know this is, this is all simulation racing days, but... <laughs> From from in my head, that's a fairly narrow bit compared to the rest of the circuit. You mean like but, turn five, don't you? Uh, let me look at a circuit look map. At map. I'll tell you. 
Yeah. I mean, there's not even actually that much variation, to be fair. It's 46 feet at its thinnest and 59 feet at its widest, so it's not like there's a ton of variation either yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. And yes, in answer to your question, I am talking around turn five-ish. Yeah, so that's kind of like the, I guess you'd call it the back straight, the, the yeah. short back straight that runs behind the pits. and then Yeah, and then it's the hairpin onto like a, back to a straight that kinks that... That kink will probably be nothing to an F1 six car. Is, yes, turn six is not a corner to an F1 car, nor is turn yeah. nine. Um, and turn 11 is not. There's some f- There's some really high speed, actually, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in the really circuit is. looking at this yes, map. There is. <laughs> so, um, oh, it's so exciting. It's going to be really good. It's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a lot like um, oh, God, Magello all over again with some of these corners, some of these really high speed Potentially, corners. Potentially, yeah. Mm. High, medium speed. There's a really good mix of um, of different speed corners in it, isn't there? So there's yeah. a fair bit of gravel from memory as well. Right? There is, yeah. There there is. Is. I mean, I'm looking these... at an aerial photo of it now. It is it is a gravel. It's a sand pit. <laughs> there's yeah. a lot. So especially around the final sort of the final two corners, there's, a, there's loads of potential there for um, you know shenanigans. But turn uh, turn thirteen. Turn twelve into turn thirteen is is a good a good spot for uh, missing apexes, slipping up, blind bends, <laughs> all that kind of thing. So yeah, I'm very excited yeah. about this this race this weekend. Yeah, uh, you touched on it a moment ago, I think, Stu. But another storyline is probably is Valtteri now completely out of this title race, or is there anything in the coming weeks, especially this race, that might change that? Do we think? <sighs> I just think the gap's well, too big now, isn't it? Well, we're talking 69 points yeah. right now as it stands. Nice. Um, I think... Not if you're Valtteri Bottas. Not if you're Valtteri Bottas, no. I think, yeah, I think you've got to really... Unless, you know, he's going to have to really pull something special out of the bag. And I just don't yeah. think it's there. I don't think it's in the bag for him to pull out. I, I hate to say it, but it's just... When you're competing against someone who's at the top of his game, the way Hamilton is, then... Yeah, a hell of a lot is going to have to go wrong for Hamilton in order for Bottas to to you know to take the fight to him. So, yeah, yeah, I can't see it, mate. I'm afraid. I I think the the kicker was the DNF last time out. Like, if you've at least been maybe not beating Lewis, but behind him and and not losing so many points, but to lose another twenty five points in full yeah. is. Very, very detrimental it's to like, the cause, isn't it? Even if Hamilton DNFs this weekend mm. and Bottas wins, he'd still be almost two race wins behind. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. So what we're saying is we don't think he's got yeah, much of a chance. Over. No. But what about Verstappen, though? If Verstappen turns up and they get the car right for him, I think that we could have a fight on our hands. Do you mean for the I mean, race? Or... For the race. Yeah, but, yeah I was going to say he's like another... Quick maths, fourteen points behind Bottas. So I think you you could potentially see Verstappen getting himself into a position where he's second in the championship this weekend. Possibly, yeah. Uh, throw that out. Yeah, there. the race for second could still be on potentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah whether whether he takes second off Bottas this weekend or not, fourteen points is a big gap yeah. to close. Yeah, you'd have to have a pretty bad weekend, Bottas, mm. for that to happen. But it's yeah. not. Or, or Max have a very good one as well. Yeah, yeah. That's or a combination option. of the two. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. That being said, Renault, do we think they can keep pushing towards podiums after last time out with Danny Rick? 
Yeah, of course they achieved the, the podium, didn't they? Um, yeah. In uh, the yeah, should I say pushing towards more podiums to be more precise? Yeah. Um, it, it, it's such a tough call because you just don't know how these midfield teams. I mean, the midfield fight I think at this race will be really, really good. It'll be really exciting because obviously none of them. There's limited practice time. None of them have been here before. The top teams will have you know done loads of simulator work and. Um, They'll they'll have a, a good idea of what to sort of go in and expect. Whereas some I think some of the midfield teams might be a little bit less well prepared for it, and yeah. therefore that's going to lead to some really spice racing. So uh, I I I'd struggle to see Renault, you know, having a real gap over everyone else at this circuit. Personally, for that reason, like they just don't have the sort of compared to like McLaren they don't have the same sort of setup away from the circuit so I'd be more inclined to go with McLaren for points and good points in this race than Renault but on recent performance it's very very difficult to to tell yeah the momentum is definitely with Renault um Mm. I mean considering McLaren were pretty solidly in third place in the championship for a good chunk at the start of the season they could easily come away from this race in Fifth, if they don't have a score, yeah, right yeah, point. yeah. It's so, so tight. tight. There's so much to that lose. Third place so much is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah I, I think that. I mean, I've been saying it for a few weeks now. I'm, I'm sticking to my guns, and I think that Renault just have that momentum and, and look good at too many different circuits to to look past at the minute for that for that third place. I think I think that not necessarily saying they've got third in the constructors wrapped up, but I mean. They look the best for it for me at the moment, and I'm kind of happy to stick stick by that. I guess. I think mm. the deciding factor in that fight is going to be which team can get both of their car scoring points because all three of yeah. them seem yeah. to only ever seem to get one of the two cars in a decent position recently. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, very if, true. if you can get the sort of if you if you can get McLaren in fifth and sixth for something like that, or even fourth and fifth, then yeah, that's going to be a huge, huge, huge. Yeah. Um, hit for the other teams and a huge yeah. bonus for McLaren. I mean that that's been the killer for McLaren over the last three, four, yeah. maybe even five races is getting both cars finishing. They've, yeah. they've one or the others had an issue for some reason. So mm. yeah. Um, speaking of trying to get points, <laughs> Williams we felt came awfully close last time out, uh, or had the, at least the potential to come close last time out. And even before that, in uh, Mugello. Yeah, Russell very was extremely close. Eye-watering. Was on close. the cusp. Yeah, do we do we think that the chaos of another new circuit and, and what the the confusion and the the madness that that brings? Do we think this is another chance for them to maybe sneak a point, depending on how things go further up the field? Yes. Yeah, I mean, what better way for Russell to kind of respond to these rumors than to uh, grab his first point or two? Yeah, that would be nice. It would be nice. Mm. I mean, I, I think I think there's potential. It's it's going to need DNFs. It's going to need people not finishing ahead of them. I don't, I don't think that if twenty cars finished, they'd make the points. But I think with the uncertainty of a new circuit and the number of gravel traps and stuff like what we've talked about, like things that could end a race slightly differently to some other circuits, like what we saw at Mugello, I think that's what gives them the chance. And if you can get in a scenario where four or five cars aren't finishing again. Suddenly, there, uh, Williams is quite potentially in eleventh and sniffing at that that 
single point, aren't they, in 10th? So. Mm. They yeah. just need to be there to pick up the pieces if the opportunity Exactly. Arises, yeah, they need to be yeah. not getting taken out by Kimi Raikkonen's of the world. Mm-hmm. They're a rogue alpha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, with that being said, Stu, do you want to take us through predictions and... Yes, I will. I I would love to take you through some predictions, Tom. Okay, so um, fastest in Q3, who shall go first? I'm going to give it to Chris first this week. Oh, boy. Uh... (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) Based on (laughs) other new races this season, I'm going to go with Bottas. Bottas. Okay. Um, Tom? Oh, it's very difficult. I'm going to play what I think is safe and say Hamilton. Hamilton. It is difficult because Bottas has, in qualifying, definitely upped his game in recent races. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's been competing more. Mm. So, yeah, it's th- this is a tough. This is a really tough one this week um, between those two. I, for the sake of differentiation, I'm going to go for Stappen. Ooh. Go into the unknown. <laughs> Stu's feeling the luxury that I've felt in the past where I've got a couple of points in hand here. I yeah, can exactly. go I can go yeah. left field and if it pays off, I look like a genius. Yeah. And I also don't want to win the overall championship because it's not a great look when you're a host and you win your own thing. <laughs> I mean, um, I do feel sorry or, or, for or is the be- Or is the best look because we should know what we're talking about to a degree. Yeah, we should do, but we clearly don't. <laughs> that, <laughs> I mean, that, that much is painfully obvious, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom, who you got for the win? Oh, it's really, really difficult, but I'm going to stick with Hamilton for a double. Hamilton, double ham. Chris? I want to be wrong, but I'm going to say Hamilton. Hamilton, okay. I'm going to go double Verstappen. Ooh. Um, first DNF, it's my turn to go first. Uh, who was the first DNF last race? Oh, good question. Uh, Russell? When you got hit by Rackingham. Oh, yeah. of course. Yeah. Oh, God, that's a shame. Um, okay, I'm <laughs> going to go... I'm going to go Raikkonen. I think he's having a bit of a shocker this last few races, and I think it's all going to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think that trend's going to just suddenly disappear because he's in a bad place at the moment. Tom, your turn to go first, to go on this one? Um, even though it's a wide circuit, I can just feel that there might be a bit of bunching up early in the lap in the midfield so I'm literally just looking for the person closest to the middle of the table I can see and that's Esteban Ocon <laughs> Ocon oh he's kept his nose clean quite a bit Ocon that's an interesting yeah now is his time time mm. to shine and Chris who's your first DNF um, I'm going to have a caveat I think have a caveat caveat's been keeping his nose clean as well you guys like you, you... I don't know. I, mean, I don't think it, these are wise, it, wise predictions there's, you're making. There's nothing, there's nothing cleaner than having your nose wiped off by Alexander Albon. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, yeah, that's true. Okay, number of finishers. Uh, Tom, it's your turn to go first. I think I'm going to risk a low number here because of what we've seen at other newest mm. to the calendar circuits or first-time circuits. So I'm, I'm going to really take a risk and say 15. Fifteen. I think. I think. Yeah. I think you're you're in the right ballpark there, Chris. I'll go one more and say sixteen. Sixteen. Ah. ah. All right. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go fifteen as well on this one. I think it's one of those circuits where because there's a lot of undulations and and they haven't been there for it's definitely of the circuit of the new circuits we've been to. It's probably the most complex. I'd say. 
Yeah. And there's a lot more stuff that can easily catch you out. And there's going to be the odd bump and stuff that they're not accounting for. They're going to be, there's going to be times when each car during the race ventures into a part of the circuit that they haven't been on all weekend. And that's the kind of thing that can take you out of a race. Yeah. So I I think the difference between Mugello and here is Mugello is technical. And like you say, this is a little more complex than it is technical. Yeah. And it's Um, fast as well. This for a Formula One car is a fast circuit. Yeah, and I think that combination, along with, I mean, drivers have tested at Mugello and stuff quite a lot in the past. So some drivers had a bit of an eye in for what Mugello, what to expect in Mugello. I don't know how many are going to have it here. So I'm, I'm with you on that, Stu, there. Yeah, yeah, I, it will be. I think we're all, those are sensible predictions. We've made some sensible predictions yeah. there for the <laughs> number of finishes, I would say. And obviously, you know you're going to get all 20 cars finishing now we've done that. Um, <laughs> random driver, Chris. Random driver this week is Esteban Ocon. Ocon, oh, oh. oh. I mean, I'm, consistency. I'm, give, give me, give me money, mouth. I'm, give me money, mouth. <laughs> give me money, mouth. Ocon. I love how that. I love that has become a term over the years that we've been doing this. Are uh, you going to so money mouth it? Yes, I am. So, well, the, the you've got five up. Oh no, you haven't. You've got. Yeah, I suppose you're putting him twentieth then. Yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah. First DNF twentieth. Yeah, money mouth, of course. Uh, Chris, where have you got him? Where's he been finishing recently? A couple of retirements, seventh, eighth, fifth. Mm. The most broad spectrum yeah, in the world. Yeah, it really is. He's <laughs> so hard to read. Let's go for. Let's go for a seventh. seventh. No, an eighth. 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 Oh, I'm not. I don't rate him that highly. Um. <laughs> uh, what we got? So in a, in a podium, fourteenth achieving car. Fifth, eighth. So, oh, actually, you know the numbers. But a lot of DNFs, though. <laughs> yeah, um, he's got one, two, three DNFs <laughs> over the course of the season so far. Um, so if he does DNF, where does that leave him? Fourteenth, thirteenth. Oh, this is. Uh, I'm when gonna he does say... finish, he tends to finish in the points, but it's a big if. <laughs> yeah. Obviously not going to be... We don't think there's going to be that many cars finishing races. I'm going to put him ninth. Ooh. And there you have it. That's the predictions sorted for this week. There's some spicy ones in there this week. Mm, um, yeah. You can, of course, submit your predictions at backofthegrid.com. So go there right now and do it. Um, and you'll be in the chat in with a chance of winning something if you get all five predictions correct. That's There's a so if you've never entered before that's a reason to enter and at the end of the season the person who comes out on top will win another prize so yeah get yourself down there get some votes in and let's do some inbox keep it saying now stay stay out just a light chuckle at the end of every yeah First up from Talia K, something you said last week about Giovinazzi made me wonder, how badly does a year or more off racing impact a career? Is his almost two question mark, I think that's right, we'll double check, uh, years out, part of the reason it's taken him this long to get up to speed. Same with Ocon not living up to expectations. And I think to a lesser extent, the same could be said for Russell, sometimes disappointing in the race. He had a year where every race he was almost in a practice session and now he's making more errors when racing other cars. Um, hmm. I mean, there's something to be said for not being in wheel-to-wheel racing consistently because there's there's only so much simulations and practice sessions can give you. 
They can give you a feel for the car, but nothing simulates going for an overtake alongside another driver better than doing it. Like it's so. I think there's something to be said for mm. it. I mean, it, it was too well. It was two seasons other than two races that Giovinazzi was out. He subbed in for it was Verlon. I think he subbed in for wasn't it the first yeah. two races of 2017? So he was off for the rest of 2017, 2018. I mean, for Giovinazzi, I think that excuse probably flew to start with, but at this point, he's he's done a season and a half now full time. I don't think that should be a factor anymore for him. Um, Ocon, you could maybe still make that argument for. Yeah, I mean, if if by the end of the season, Ocon wasn't anywhere near Danny Rick, you'd maybe give him benefit of the doubt and see what happens next year with Alonso. But from what we've seen of Alonso in the past, he's not going to be the easiest teammate to try and compare yourself to, is he? No, no. If, well, the, if, yeah, if, if he comes back as strong as he has been in the past, I mean, whether he will or not is another matter. But well, that's going to answer this question, isn't it? How fast? Yeah, Alonso is going to be when he gets back. Well, he'll yeah. get an answer in a year, in what a few, well, six months' time when when Alonso starts racing for Renault because he'll either yeah. be worse than Ocon or he'll be better than him. And if he's worse than him, then that shows you what years and years out of racing does for you. Yeah, mm. driver moves are always good for. Uh, comparison purposes and working out the pecking order, aren't they? Yes. yes. Um, Molly says, who do you think should have the Red Bull seat for 2021? Um, <laughs> Last week we did who do we want, this week it's who should get it. <laughs> I'm gonna, I can't remember what I said last week, but this week I feel like Hulkenberg should have it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm really torn between giving Gasly another go or not I I just don't I don't want it to like tarnish him again if if there's I've just feel there's something about that seat that's just not kind to whoever the second driver is no matter who's in it so yeah I would say Albon or Gasly but yeah I, I think it should be Albon I don't want yeah I don't want Red Bull to have a chance to break Gasly again yeah. if he's got a shout yeah. to move into a team that might yeah. uh, be a happier home for him in a year or two so yeah that's yeah. very true you're right you're true. right it should be it should be Albon yeah it should be and mm. I think given everything that we've said this episode ultimately it probably will be Albon I think, I think so yeah. it's fun to talk about these moves but ultimately I think the mm. only change at Red Bull is probably going to be Sonoda for Kvyat yeah I mean you've put that down in audio format now so this being back of the grid Tuesday morning as this episode goes out that will be blown completely out of the water oh, by 100%. some crazy Red Bull move yeah, like yeah. bringing Hulkenberg back you know that's going to happen um, but well, aside from that <laughs> Thomas Hardesty says uh, with Hamilton getting involved with the off-road electric racing how do we see his career in F1 coming to an end I imagine he's got at least three more years left and I can't see him dropping down to another team to help them climb up the grid before bowing out. He has already made a comment along the lines of, I'm committed to staying at Mercedes and I'm continuing to build this team, didn't he? Yeah, like yeah, that's where he sees him ending his career. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I can see him ending his career at F1, with F1, with Mercedes, maybe even longer than three years. It just depends how he feels if he gets bored. Yeah. I mean, he'll definitely be around at least for the new formula. So, you know, he might get into the new cars and really love them and be like, you know what? I'm, st- I'm sticking around for a lot longer. Yeah. 
and Mercedes aren't going to say no to him, no, really, exactly, are they? Exactly. If he wants to. I do agree he's probably just going to go out on top, though. I think yeah. he'll probably reach a point where he'll decide that I'm going to do X more years and whatever happens at the end of those years, that's the point he leaves. I don't think it's... Yeah. It, I mean, it must be alluring if you've just won another world championship to be like, oh, if I stay for one more year, I'll have one more championship. But yeah, like he he is involved in so many other things. I, yeah, I, th- I think he'll just leave on a high and then just go and do a million other things in his life. Like, yeah. A bit like Alonso, probably try all different kinds of racing and stuff like that. I was about to say, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw like some crazy team of them. I mean, if I actually know you probably wouldn't see him together, would you have to what happened to McLaren? <laughs> but I mean, you might see him going head to head in some other category, which would be really interesting if that's I, I can't see him doing much more racing after he leaves F1, to be honest. I could see yeah, him maybe even involving with MotoGP. Like... I'm sure he'd love to go on a MotoGP. He's always, he's always said that if any other motorsport could entice him to participate, yeah. it would be that, hasn't it? So I can see him maybe doing some like team ownership stuff, but. To be honest, I think once he's done with F1, I think he's probably just going to spend time doing activism and music and all the other things he's involved yeah. in. Yeah. I mean, I could see that once he leaves F1, you potentially don't see him around the paddock again. Yeah, I don't think like, so. Like, it kind of bows out and that's it. It's like, my time is done. It Focus on somebody else. Yeah, he'll maybe crumble he, once a year at Silverstone and that'd be about yeah. it. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. It's hard to imagine a. Formula One without Lewis Hamilton, isn't it? It's it's been such a like he has been like the kingpin of the sport for so many years now, yeah. yeah. Then again, people said that about Schumacher and Yeah. yeah. Times change. I'm sure there's someone yeah. else waiting in the wings that we maybe not even aware of yet that's gonna take that position next. Yeah, hope so. Yeah. Next, Charlotte Taylor says, Do you think Red Bull will be hesitant to give Perez or Hulkenberg a drive? Because if they don't perform in that car, it would be clear that there is something wrong with the second Red Bull car. Mm. I mean, saying something wrong with it is not quite how I feel about it. Saying it's built in such a way that it's difficult to yeah. to manage and get right. Is Unless probably, you're Max Verstappen, yeah. Um, yeah, because the car is built around Max Verstappen. Yeah. And I, I, I've... And I keep mentioning it, but Albon's comments always stick with me when this conversation comes up of what he said about he's never driven a car with the like the geometry of what that one has. So, and he says that it's it's been the most difficult to adjust to of all the cars he's ever driven. Hmm. So, well, they even I brought think, a I think new tub. They brought a new they brought a new tub to the last last race to set up for him with different suspension mounting points, and yeah. that would um, help him sort of get the car more into a place that. He wants it. I think it's just it's the it's it's kind of a flaw. It's it's to me this shows a flaw, a chink in the armor of Red Bull because they're the they've gone so far down one driver's mm. road that it's actually costing them points in yeah. terms, as mm. a, as a team. Like they they've gone so far in one direction that no one else seems to be able to drive the car other than that one driver. So therefore, they're actually not getting. Overall, yeah, that one driver is doing very, very well for that team, and he's he's very strong, performing very, very strongly, and he's able to compete with the Mercedes. But it's at the cost of the second driver dropping back into the clutches of the midfield and losing points. Mm. So overall, they're losing points. They could definitely afford to pull that car back towards the other driver a little bit and give him a bit more speed and 
they'd gain, they'd absolutely be gaining points if they did that. Feels very very reminiscent of Ferrari's situation to a degree. Yeah, yeah. I guess like I mean, the key is you need someone who's just like you need someone who's just like Max Verstappen. You need someone who wants the car the same as him. So you know, there's, there's a compatibility compatibility issue between the two drivers really and the car. Yeah, I mean some, the thing that I know is just I know it's, it's slightly off topic, but it kind of raises the point of I, I think that the reason that Seb struggled more than Charles with the Ferrari this year is partly because I, I've seen it over the last few years that we've seen Seb turn the car around a lot and something that he did in uh, Germany sort of really stood out to me where he had to get on the brakes heavily behind someone, I can't remember who it was, and but he turned the car around into turn one, didn't he? He like, he like completely 180 yeah. the car. Yeah. And yeah. That, w- that was just the rear axle completely locking up and it, it does make me wonder if the way that the car is set up, Seb, or something to do with the way Seb drives, that he has a really rearward brake balance, and that just does not go with the geometry and the, and the, the general setup of the Ferrari. And it's it's a driving style to car mm. design thing there, mm. in a similar way that album does struggle a little bit. Because, I mean, Vettel turns that car around 10 times more than Leclerc does. And it's nearly always a rear axle lockup that that turns it around. And it just makes me wonder about li- just little things like that in differences yeah. between drivers can make yeah. a big difference. There's a lot. The there's is. a lot there. That there's a lot to dissect there. There's because oh yeah, not definitely. Just, it's not just the brakes that are slowing oh, no. the car down, is it? It's the it's the energy um, recovery systems and stuff yeah. like that. The brake by wire, all that kind of stuff. So there's definitely um, it's not as simple as. Vettel's too hot on the brakes or Vettel doesn't have the right setup on the car is it because clearly there's like super super complexities to these engines yeah oh yeah I'm not saying that's a single factor I'm just saying it feels like a similar scenario where it's a driver whose style does not suit the way that car is currently being built yeah because it's not built for him yeah Mm, it's built for the other guy and that's exactly it's the same problem I mean Red Bull exist these days to make Verstappen world champion. Like that is mission one of Red Bull right now. Yeah. Yes, they probably are dropping points from a constructor's point of view in the other car, but that's not what they're there for. And it was the same when um, Vettel was there. They've always been a a team that's focused themselves on one of the two drivers. Mm. I mean, they they always seem pretty desperate to uh, take the youngest world championship record like from Vettel for Verstappen but um he he runs out of time for that at the end of this season I think yeah he so, does uh, that, yeah, that's one record does. that uh, Vettel will hold on to yeah for, and I'm pleased I'm now. actually pleased about that I'm really pleased about that yeah me too and I don't think yeah. I'd like um Max Verstappen to be the youngest F1 champion ever Ooh, interesting well it is, I've is... probably just triggered a million <laughs> Dutch people there but... I mean that's it we we deleted Finland the other week. We've now just deleted Amsterdam from the podcast <laughs> yeah, players. Amsterdam, just Amsterdam, not the Netherlands. Just uh, Amsterdam. no, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now we definitely now we've definitely ruined it. <laughs> now I've just made it ten times worse. Should we move on? Yes. Yeah. Let's. Uh, is it me? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, it's a very good question. That by the way, Charlotte Teller. Thank you. Um, Liam says with the rumors of Perez and to Williams and Gasly to Renault. Do you guys think these moves are possible? And if they do happen, what will happen to George and Esteban? Um, I'm a Renault fan and would love to see 
us get Gasly as Ocon has been a bit meh. Not <laughs> bad, but not great. Um, I guess we've assessment. covered this. We? We've kind of covered this. Yeah, we kind of talked about it, but I, I, do, I mean, I agree with the Gasly over Ocon thing at the moment, based on current form. Mm. I'd, I'd like to see it. The what would happen to them part is interesting, though. Like, if Russell and or Ocon were to lose their seats, what? Yeah. where would they go? Mm. Like, there's nowhere else really for Mercedes to put Russell. They'd probably right pop, now. pop him into the Formula E team. Yeah, quite possibly. And he'd but win then, it. <laughs> well, I think they've got such a strong team now. Um, I, I mean, I think if, if, you, if you're a betting person, put your money on probably Van Dorn for the Formula E title next season. Like that Mercedes team has just been getting better and better. I, th- I think they're going to be very strong in Formula E next season. Mm. Um, so in a way, they'd be a bit mad to kind of break up that team at this point. But yeah. The thing is, Mercedes need to keep Russell and Ocon around because that's basically, if they need to fill one of the seats in the Mercedes team, they are the two options they have and kind of the only two options they have. I mean, if if we envisage this world where Gasly goes to Renault and somebody goes to Williams, no matter who it is, and you've got Russell and Ocon out of a seat, you're in a situation where Mercedes have two, like, Reserve stable drivers to to find seats for, haven't you? Mm. And no seats to put them in. I wonder if Mercedes have dropped a bit of a dropped the ball a little bit by renewing mm-hmm. Bottas for next season. I mean, I feel that's slightly harsh on Bottas. He's not exactly a bad driver, but I, I mean, this is probably very, 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 very biased, but. I would happily see George Russell get an opportunity in that car next season. Yeah, I would happily well, I think see if, it. if you're thinking of the future, then probably George Russell is the person you want in that mm. car as soon as possible before he gets. I mean, I'm sure, like that, you know, all these arrangements at Mercedes have been made without the prior knowledge that Russell might now suddenly be not driving in Formula One next season. So. Yeah. It's easy with hindsight to look back and say Mercedes have made a mistake when you know that wasn't the cards they were dealt at the time. But the landscape has really changed quite drastically this last few weeks in terms of the driver market. So, and a lot of those deals that were done probably wouldn't have gone ahead if they'd known that this was going to happen. It, oh, they certainly would have had you know a lot more complexity to them. So, yeah, I yeah. just. I don't know where George Russell goes if he doesn't get a drive in F one next season. I don't know if he. I don't know where he, well. I don't know where he goes within F one if he doesn't get a drive with Williams, and yeah, I don't know where he goes after F one either. So it's it's concerning for me. Yeah, it's um, F one teams is right having all these young drivers, but ultimately you have to put them somewhere. It's well, it's like when um, when McLaren promoted up uh, Norris, like they basically had to do it then, or they were going to lose him to kind of a rival team or a rival uh, yeah. young driver yeah. program. And you have to reach a point where you, you need to either promote up a driver or release them. And I don't know, I, I, I do feel sorry for like Russell having to sit there and watch Norris and Albon getting these chances in decent cars. And he's just kind of been, he's just been left to sit there at the back and kind of wait basically, hasn't he? Yeah. 
yeah, I, th I think, I mean, given the way that I believe the likes of Toto Wolf and stuff have faith in Russell, I think that if he has faith in the team to keep him as a reserve driver for a year and, and provide him with an opportunity, if, if things are like what you were saying before, Chris, where reading between the lines of things that he said, if things were quite close to him potentially having that seat, you would maybe bank on Mercedes taking him into the garage, seeing him around there for an entire season, just basically looming over Bottas's shoulder, like with that whole demeanour of, don't mess up me, I'm here for that seat, and hmm. then, then potentially make a decision to, to swap, I think. Mm. But it, it's it's the team and him having faith in each other to, to persevere with that season, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I would hate to see that. But I would love to see I mean, Russell up against Hamilton as well. But yeah, this is the thing. If ultimately after that season, it's almost guaranteed behind closed doors that that is what will happen, I'd kind of happily go along with it. I think there's a nice, the, the other nice angle to it as well is if, if Hamilton's sort of thinking about, you know, hanging up the gloves, then what better way of passing on the mantle than sort of mentoring a driver like George Russell for a year or two to get him into a position where he can sort of take over from Hamilton and, and start winning championships, you know? I think that's like a very real prospect because he has been sort of... Rus Hamilton has been guiding Russell to a degree up to this point, so especially through F2. So it would be nice to see them mm. kind of matched up together to sort of do a handover, if you like. Yeah. At the end of Hamilton's career, whenever that might be. But then to go back to our yeah. first question, I don't think right now Russell's gaining the experience you need to do that. And if he yeah. ends up having to sit out for a year, he's definitely not going to be getting the experience to do that. So, mm. which is why they should have promoted him sooner. I think. Mm. I think he should be in. I think he should be in that seat next season. I think it's daft putting um, having Bottas in there just to carry on being number two. And yeah, I don't think Bottas has got the goods to to beat Max Verstappen. I think I think Max Verstappen will finish the championship this year ahead of Bottas. I really do. I wouldn't doubt that at the minute. And I think as well what what Mercedes need to look at in terms of perspective is they need to be looking at who is the next Lewis Hamilton for them. And I'm not saying go on and win 90-something races plus and multiple world titles, but who is going to be consistently at the front and someone that you feel that you can rely on 100% all the time to get that job done. Because as good as Bottas is, when he shows it, he's never 100... I don't ever feel you can be 100% behind Bottas, sadly. Whereas Lewis, he's always in the back of your mind, like even if he's had a terrible practice, even terrible Q1, Q2, as long as he gets to Q3, he'll nearly always still stick it on pole yeah. the opportunity. Someone needs to give him a real run for his money and they need the next one of that, the next one where you always think as soon as Lewis is out in the... It, in the lead, you're like, well, something's going to have to go wrong to stop him now because he's gone. And I think you need the next one of those. Whereas there's always this niggling doubt in the back of your mind when it's Valtteri because you're sort of thinking, oh, I hope he can hold on to this. Not, well, he's gone now. Like it's, it's a very just, it's a slightly different vibe. And I think Mercedes need to start thinking about who is the next surefire 
this this is the guy to lead the team, like what Lewis is. Yeah. And I, I don't think, sadly, Valter is going to be that guy. I'm not I'm not even saying George Russell is that guy, but what I'm saying is I don't think Valtteri is either. Mm. And I, 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 think if, I think if Russell did jump in that car next season, he probably wouldn't get the results Bottas had for at least his first season. But if you're making that move, you're making that move as a kind of future planning thing. You're not doing it for the instant results. Um and, you know, that Mercedes is good enough that they could allow Russell a year to find his feet and maybe come third or fourth in the championship, but stick with someone and let them build, which is the mistake that Red Bull have been making for all these years. They're not allowing yeah. anyone in that second seat to take the time to build themselves up to speed. Mm. Yeah. That's Such a weird go. year for drivers. Yeah, very it weird. Is. I'll move us on to the last one because we've got one left. Okay. Um, Wesley Paul has said, uh, do all of you think this year's crazy schedule will have any lasting impact? Triple headers, no Friday practice, tracks where F1 hasn't been in years or even at all. It's all made the season interesting despite the predictability of Mercedes dominance. Hmm. I hope so. I hope this season kind of gives the organisers uh, sort of pause to think about what what is F1? Like, what is the people tune in for and what it makes it yeah. successful? Because to go from a point where we didn't know if we'd have a season at all to what has actually been one of the most fascinating seasons in recent memory. And a lot of that has been kind of because they've had their hands forced. But I think there's a lot to learn from this season. And I hope they actually do and don't just go straight back to how it was before. Yeah, I think yeah. definitely the new track, you know, introducing a few new tracks into the mix has definitely helped a lot. Um, not a huge fan of the triple headers side of things, <laughs> just from sort of a, you know, a work life point of work life balance point of view, it makes some, um, it makes, it, it does make sort of, it makes it very intense. Um, Same for yeah. the teams as well. And for the teams. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. So I'm, I'm, it's hard for us. It's even harder for the teams and the families and stuff like that. that you know, you got to think this yeah. is still like as much as people love Formula One and want to see as many races as possible, there's still like real humans working in that environment and exactly. sacri- making big sacrifices in order to do that, already making big sacrifices in order to be able to do that, to ask even more of them by throwing dozens and dozens of triple headers in it over a season is just... Um, Asking too much, I think. Yeah, it's, it's um, no coincidence that the like divorce rate in F1 mechanics is much higher than most other jobs. Like, yeah, I think you know if if <laughs> Max Verstappen said it, if they're going to throw loads of triple headers into the season, they might as well fill out the divorce papers now because there'd be a lot. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Friday practice and things like that. Definitely. Yeah, you could be making. They could totally be making tweaks to that. I think. The one thing that we've seen this season already is that Friday practice running just isn't crucial. It's not absolutely necessary in order for the teams to be able to compete on a weekend. Um, it's a nice to have because you do get situations where you know you might go the wrong way of setup and you need a bit of time to sort of recover that. Um, it's it's nice for the teams to have a bit of a comfort blanket, but is it necessary? Probably not. Like it's kind of you know race what you brought attitude is what sort of becomes becomes the the, the thing 
to have if if we don't get the practice like we saw at the Nürburgring. It's kind of like a lot of unpredictability leading into the race, a lot of unpredictability during the race and not that many finishes. So it really spiced up the entertainment from that side of things um, with the help of a couple of safety cars or a safety car. Um, and then what was the last one? The... Yeah, well, I, I think I've covered all That was there. kind of it, really. Yeah. It was more just, uh, despite Mercedes still dominating, the, the other elements have kept the season. And I mean, I'd agree with that, despite Mercedes dominating. I mean, it's become a foregone conclusion at this point, really, where the titles are going. But I'm still quite enjoying every single race we've had in recent times because there is so much going on. And there is still elements of predict- unpredictability, even at the front because of it it's not like there's been some races recently that aren't a complete cakewalk for Hamilton it's not like he's com- the points tell one story but the actual on track action does tell a slightly different one I think and I think if you look cut and dry at the points yeah it's a dominating season for him but I think that there's been times both Valtteri and Max have given him a good run for his money and they will consistently do that given the opportunity Um, it's and I think it it's a little more entertaining than what the points standings tell you anyway. Personally. Yeah, it, it wouldn't take many things this season to have happened slightly differently for that points table to tell a different story. Like, I don't think it would have stopped Hamilton being in the lead, but maybe not by quite as much as he is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, you know, the, the puncture on the final lap of the race at exactly, Silverstone yeah. being one of those. Um, Hamilton almost being out of qualifying in... Uh, at the Nürburgring as well. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, there, there's been a few close shaves. It's not been a cakewalk for him. But, um, yeah, I, I just, I do think this season would have been a, mo- a lot more fun without the Mercedes in it at all. But you can't hmm. just wish away the, basically, pretty much the greatest team in the history of the sport at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's not much you could have done this season to stop it being a Mercedes dominance. But, at least, as Tom said, there's been plenty of other stuff going on that's made it worthwhile watching and hopefully it's stuff that the sport learns from. Yeah. And there's a load of the season left yet. Yeah, so you never know. They might get reeled in by Red Bull and and <laughs> have a tough time for the rest of the season. We've got another six races to go in the space yeah. of eight weeks. We can dream. I think it's, <laughs> it's going to be six races. Yeah, I think total six Some races day. in the space of eight weeks, I think it is. Yeah, it's... It, it's... It's a very compact end to the season, let's put it that way. We're in October. Yeah. And we've got six races. To, we're mid October and we've got six races to do. So. I think this weekend should have been um, the American Grand Prix, which has been a place where a lot of championships have been won in recent years. It's weird yeah. to think that we're, we're yeah. not at that point yet. Yeah. I wonder how definitely. early he can win it, actually. I'm not really sure of that. It can't be far off now. No, it's we'll, got to be. We'll do the maths races. depending on the outcome of. Uh, do the maths depending on the outcome of this next race. Yeah, we'll figure that one out for you yeah. guys. Um, Tune in for that next uh, week. Or somebody yeah. will figure it out for us and let us know. <laughs> People usually do. Yeah, hopefully. So. Save us a job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that is it for this week anyway. So thank you very much uh, to everyone who has sent us in some, some inbox. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us after the race with any comments or messages, you can find us online at backofthegrid.com where there's a contact box which is also the best place to go register and get involved with the Predictions League. Or you can get in touch with us on Twitter, which is Back of the Grid F1. And you can find us on Facebook as well by just searching for Back of the Grid. Uh, that is it from us this week. So we all hope you enjoy the Portuguese Grand Prix. 
and we will see you next week to review it all. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Be nice. Bye. <laughs>